Good morning and welcome to Grace. We're excited to have you here and uh, what a wonderful day the Lord has provided for us. You may be seated and I hope that you will take your Bibles and follow along with us as we go forward. We've been studying through 2 Corinthians and what a blessing to learn what the essentials of ministry really are, how to be effective. And again, I want to say thanks to everyone who has been helping us uh, in the last 10 weeks. Uh, today is only another issue of the, those using their talents with instruments, those who have done it together with video, uh, those who have come early and been a part of everything. It's nothing special that we've done. It's taken a little extra effort on our part to try to make it uh, more clear and understandable to you. But we pray that you've been blessed. We know that it's not been true worship. We know that it's not been true ministry. But I do know it's been through the true love of our hearts and yours that we can still serve God faithfully, even in times of trials. And so I encourage you this morning as we go forward to realize what really makes this work is that we are controlled by something the world does not understand. Your life is different. Your life has an ability that many people don't understand. I could take you back on a theological treatise, if you wish, to the days of Adam and Eve in which we've lost the ability to please God. Yes, we kept our liberty. That's why we sin. That's why when people ask, why do Christians do bad things? Well, we still have liberty. But we also have an ability that God gives us through the power of His Holy Spirit that allows us to be pleasing to Him, to continue to serve Him now in ways that we could have never done before. And so your life here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a life that is different because you are being controlled by Christ. And if your life is not being controlled by Christ, then you're facing the same struggles those without the Holy Spirit face every day. And so I want to encourage you to follow along 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to take you on a journey of how it is that Christ's love controls us. I pray that if there's an area in your life as we go through it that needs to be controlled by Christ, renewed, refreshed, that that would happen this morning. That today would be the day that you remember a gathering together after a worldwide pandemic. That God spoke to me. He spoke to my heart. He renewed my vigor. He strengthened my soul. He increased in me that which was necessary to make the changes that it would become obvious that I serve a risen King. I don't just serve Him in my convenience. I don't just serve Him when I feel like it. I surrender in obedience to every part of Scripture I understand. To be controlled by Christ is much different than saying I'm a Christian at least in today's world. It used to be in an understanding of the evangelical faith that when you said you were a Christian, by definition that meant you no longer lived for yourself, that you lived for Jesus Christ. Today, when you say you're a Christian, the sad part is you have to ask the follow-up question, what does that mean to you? What do you mean by that? I had a associate pastor one year in North Carolina. He's still there today, and what a blessing as he continues to lead 
the church. We were talking about the challenges of sharing our faith. If you walk up and tell someone you want to share with them about Christ or share to them about Christ, they would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You have to ask yourself, well, do I stop and trust them? Do I need to know more? His name was Jason, and he said to me, I quit asking the question, or Keith Campbell. He said, I quit asking the question, are you a Christian? I started asking the question this, are you a follower of Christ? And what a different response he got from people. The same people who called themselves Christians did not want to associate in being a follower of Christ. So let me ask you this morning, are you a follower of Christ? Does the love of Christ control your life? And so I challenge you, follow with me, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 11. We read what Paul writes in the inspired scriptures. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I want to take you on a journey. You can write these down or put them in your mind. It may have a better memory than mine. But I want you to write these down in the margins of your Bible and keep these for the future. What is it that changes when Christ controls us? First of all, in verse 11, let me speak to you about the conscience. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. You see, the conscience changes when you're controlled by Christ. The things that you do and the things that you're afraid of change. When you're not controlled by Christ, you're afraid about losing your job. When you're not controlled by Christ, you're afraid of losing finances and control. You're afraid of the next sickness that comes along. You're afraid of a great cancer that might take your life. You're afraid your loved one may be unfaithful. You're afraid your church going through conflict. You see, the thing is, when you're not controlled by Christ, you have all kinds of fears in your life because you're trying to control those. You're trying to keep those intact and you feel responsible for everything that happens because you're still living for self. You're still playing the position of controller of the universe, the one and only sustainer of the world. Now, I'm not saying, please don't leave here today and say, well, you know, Pastor Jerry told him I don't need to care about anything. That's not what I'm saying. You need to care for your parents. Parents, care for your children, even when we retire. Care for us. We'll care for you. But what I'm talking about is the fear of having everything under control. You see, that's the job God has. He's the one that provides providence. 
those of us who serve Christ have a conscience that realize the fear that we really have is this, that you are letting down the one who loves you more than anybody else. You're disappointing the one who gave his only son. You're mocking the one who could take your life in a heartbeat. You see, the truth of it is, the one who was controlled by Christ now has a conscience that fears God and only God. Fears God's words and only His words. Fears the Spirit and only His Spirit. You see, true love casts out the fears of this world. And it's not the fear that we want to tone down here. This is not a, a reverence fear. Our lives are changed because we spoke last week about what it means to live today with a perspective of the future. If you really believe you're going to come before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and your conscience is convicted that you will stand accountable to the one and only who created you, it will change how you live today. It will change your perspectives on who you should be afraid of. Oh, I'm not saying don't work hard for your job. You need it. You ought to work harder than anyone else because you serve a risen Savior. And what you are doing is you're working for the Lord, not for the one who hired you. You're working for the one who saved you. How much do we owe him? So I challenge you this morning to write in the margins of your Bible in verse 11, circle the word, I hope it is known also to your conscience. You cannot have the control of Christ in your life if your conscience has not been changed. When Paul wrote to the Romans in the very first chapter, he said the problem with most people is that they have a seared conscience, which means they've now accepted the ways of the world. They've now accepted the standards that are around them. They've now began to grow accustomed to all the situations that they're living in, and they no longer bother them no longer bothers them. A seared conscience is a conscience that is no longer affected by all the things that go against Scripture. I'm not here to go through the Ten Commandments, but if we just simply said, do you really have a conscience when someone takes the name of the Lord in vain? You know, to take the name of the Lord in vain is not by using vulgarity along with it. Using the name of the Lord in vain is when you attach anything to a most holy, wise God with something that is meaningless. This takes the name of the Lord in vain. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing? What sense does that make? Lord, have mercy. What am I going to do now? Oh, my God, what's going on? You see, we take his name in vain when we have attached the creator of this universe into sentences and scenarios that make no sense. That's using the name without purpose, without meaning. But we are so unfearful of God that we will throw those things out for no reason, as if God really cares about our conversation, if God really cares about our speech. And if he doesn't, I wonder why he says this, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You know, it was the brother of Jesus who simply said, how in the world can both good and bad come from the same fountain? How is it with one mouth we can use the name of the Lord in vain, 
and with the same mouth praise him as if he's creator. Has your conscience been seared? Are you, have you become dull to the teachings of scripture and that all that really matters is what the world tells us is true love? That we accept everybody for who they are and what they want to be so that we cause no conflicts. Allow everyone to have their own freedoms. Allow them to live as they want and to change things how they want. If you're acceptable, that's loving and that's Christian according to the world. But it's more than that. Listen to what Paul writes. Not only does the controlling of Christ change our conscience, look what it says in verse 12. We're not commending ourselves to you again because of this to give boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance. Let me summarize. Don't get excited about those who brag about their own achievements. What he's saying is I want to give you something to brag about that matters. And the next time you introduce your pastor to someone, I don't want you to say he's the best looking pastor in the county. I don't want you to say he's the sharpest pastor in the county. What I want you to say is, and I would love for you to say, is that this man's got a godly character. He's not perfect. And he's not always pleasing. But he's got a character as a man who is one after God's own heart. It means more to have a character change than anything else. But we live in such a world that when we introduce people, which is only normal, we want to notice them for all their credible accomplishments or we don't believe them. Now, if you don't believe that, let's take 10 minutes and take sides on what the pandemic is all about. Everybody has become their own scientific expert. Everybody has become their own health genius, their political persuasionist. You see, we live in a world that everybody's got the opinions, and I've shared this before. A, a friend told me in college one time, her name was Coraline Klein. She said, Jerry, opinions are like pennies. Everybody has them, and they're worth absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I want to remind you that without a changed character, that's kind of your life. You're full of opinions. What they were looking at here in verse 12 is that people wanted to brag about their accomplishments. They wanted to brag about the miracles that they were able to, to do in people's lives. They wanted to brag about the changes they could bring about in people's lives that you could see. Folks, if you're not feeling good about yourself, let me tell you about the best transformation in the world. Go see a beautician and change your hairstyle. You'll feel great, even you guys, but it only lasts until you go to sleep. You want to really feel good about yourselves, men, change your outside appearance. Start pumping iron. It only lasts a while. Wait till you get older. You see, what's amazing is we live in a world that all of us are challenged about not our character being controlled by Christ, but our accomplishments that the world wants us to have. Ask yourself this morning, Am I more interested in being accepted by the world or having a character that Christ approves? That's where we realize in verse 12, it's not about the appearance. Listen to what he says. It's about what's in 
the heart. Number one, write it down, it's your conscience. Number two, verse 12, it's your character. It's what's in your heart. There's nothing like failing. We've all been there. But there's a big difference between being a flop and a phony. Judas was a phony. Peter was a flop. One God could never use and told him to go serve the devil. The other he built his church upon because there was nothing that could separate the godly character, a child of God, from his father. Whatever it is you're going through this morning, I challenge you to listen to what Paul is saying about reconciliation. It is your life with Christ. It is your life that needs to have a conscience in tune with God. Every one of you have an intuition. That's the conscience touched by God. You know you shouldn't do it. You probably shouldn't do it. I'm not sure if I should do it. Romans 14, mark this down, says this, anything done in doubt is done in sin. God gives us a conscience to know that he has created us for his only purposes, to glorify him and enjoy him forever, and he has given us a day, an entire day. Oh, I'm not here to harp about what you're going to do on your Lord's day, but let me just poke your conscience. How many of you, if you used an entire Lord's day for Christ, could change the lives of those around you? Just an extra six hours of talking to your neighbor, walking through your neighborhood, visiting the nursing homes, going to the shut-ins. You see, there was a reason why God said, create a day, have a day, and keep a day, a whole day unto the Lord, so that you have a chance to show the world that what's in your conscience is different than theirs. It's amazing how we've lived in a world. We all know different sports. I don't mind sharing with you. I sat on a board with another member who said he now goes to the Saturday night service at their church. I said, why do you go to a Saturday night service? His only response was, I'm addicted to NFL football and I don't want to miss the games on Sunday. And if I can go to church on Saturday and still hear the message, then I can enjoy my Sunday and not feel guilty. I wonder, when you come to the gates of heaven, is it going to be the commissioner of the NFL? The judge over the tennis courts? All the green jackets from the masters? Who's going to be the one that simply says, well done, my good and faithful child. Enter that which has been prepared for you. It's amazing that he even reminds us in the Gospels that those of us who confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father. Where's your conscience and where's your character? 
Listen to what he says next, verse 13. If we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're out of our minds or in our right minds, some are translated, it is for you. What in the world is he talking about? Mark this down. It's confusing to others. Not only do we have a conscience that's been affected and a character, but it's confusing. The world does not understand why we do the things we do for other people. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We ought to be hoarding. We ought to be hiding everything we have. We ought to be putting it in our basements, putting it away for years to come. Who in their right mind would feed people that come through their parking lot, give them boxes of food, send them on their way, tell them we'll help them? Who in their right mind would take tons and tons of extra food to the low-income towers and to the elderly who are in need? That makes no sense. But I remind you, it's confusing to a world when you tell somebody, I do it because Christ loves me. I do it because Christ gave to me. And my conscience has been changed. My character has been renewed. And it's no longer confusing to me. I can love my enemy. I can forgive those who hurt me. I can continue to serve those who lord it over me because I am doing it with an intelligence that only those who are controlled by Christ understand. Are you controlled by Christ? Are you able to love your enemy? Are you able to forgive those that are hurting you? Are you able to restore those that have betrayed you? Can you work alongside those who mock you and continue to be faithful to those who lord it over you? I can't imagine what would have been different from the mouth of Jesus Christ. When they mocked him, ridiculed him, crowned him with thorns, spit upon him, and threw a heavy stick called a cross upon his back, so heavy he couldn't carry it the whole way. It wore him out. He lost his strength. The one and only Savior of the world. On the way to Golgotha, and his only words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me paraphrase. Father, forgive them, for they're confused. They do not see with the eyes that we see with. They do not understand with the mind that we understand with. Because we have been controlled by Christ. We have been changed. In our lives, do not give in to the surrounding activities that take place. We do not make decisions based on what's happening around us. We go forward in truth. We uphold the standard of truth. And we become a reflection of the truth. Folks, it should not be the society that's changing the church. It should be the church, what? Changing society. It's you. You are the church. You make the difference. You make the call. If every Christian was truly controlled by Christ and truly had a changed conscience, had a godly character, and wasn't worried about all the confusion, what a difference we would make for the kingdom. And so Paul writes that in verse 14. He says, here's the solution. For the love of Christ controls us. And we have concluded this, that one has died 
for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now let me clarify, write this down, you can put in words, but put conclusion. The conclusion is that when you're controlled by the love of Christ, you have a whole different understanding about what Christ's death and resurrection is all about. We don't need to argue whether or not Christ died. That's not the issue. The issue becomes who Christ died for. The issue becomes, did he raise from the dead? The issue becomes, has it affected people? You see, the conclusion that Paul gives us is that the love of Christ has controlled us. Who is this all? Now, we could spend weeks and weeks, I wouldn't mind, in a theological debate to be able to share the difference between the extreme Calvinistic viewpoint to the extreme Ar Ar Arminian viewpoint, or from the extreme Augustinian viewpoint to the extreme Pelagian viewpoint. Throughout history, it's always been the debate from one extreme to the other. Here Paul writes, and I believe he clarifies who it is. Listen to this, for the love of Christ controls us. The entire book so far has been to Christians to Paul and his companions. When we speak about who Christ died for, he died for us. In all of us. Listen to this, Christ died for all. Now who is the all? He goes on farther. Those who live. If Christ has died for you, it's because you now live. Catch this. There's resurrection, death, resurrection. If there's new life in you, and you're controlled by Christ, then there's death to self. If there's resurrection life in you, there's death to self. And if there's death to self, then there's resurrection again to life eternal. It's the resurrection, death, resurrection. For the love of Christ, we conclude that one, only Jesus Christ, the only one that God has given, the only son of the only. He's called the only begotten. We have concluded that he has died for all of us. You did not come on your own. You didn't come through the first verses where you had your own appearance on outward effects. You didn't come because you were a great accomplishment. You came because of the work of Christ, because his Holy Spirit convicted you, changed you, has rearranged your life. You came because he loved you first because Christ controls that when he died, therefore, we all have died. Please understand that if you're here this morning and you have not died to self, then you don't understand resurrection life. Oh, how much greater it is to serve than to be served. Even Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to what? Serve. But to serve. And to give my life a ransom. He even clarifies the many. So that those who live no longer live to themselves. You may not have said it yet, so ask the one next to you. Have you used the personal pronoun yet today? I, my, 
I wonder what I will get for breakfast. I wonder what my day holds before me. I wonder what we will get to do. The mentality of one who is so convinced that self is more important than anything else. Oh, Paul writes several things. And then he says this. We no longer live for themselves, ourselves, but for him. The conclusion. We live for Christ because he lived and died for us. If you don't understand the exchange, he didn't just die for you. He lived for you so that his perfect obedience could be credited to you. So that the life that you would never be able to live, he could hand that over to God and say, credit this life to them. So that one day when we get to the portals of heaven, we don't have to plead to come home. We don't have to beg to be let in. We don't have to be concerned whether there's a place for us because we have one who lived for us and one who died for us. And, conclusion, one who has been raised for us to go and prepare the place, to be the first fruits. Family, let me tell you, it's here in reconciliation that the Christ love must control us. You must have a conscience clear with scriptures. And you must have a character that only God can develop. You're not worried about all the confusion in the world because you live with a different understanding. But most important, you must conclude that it was Jesus Christ that died for you. There was no other way under heaven that we get to celebrate the understanding of what Christ has done than when Paul writes to us about communion, about the Lord's Supper, about what it means to partake of Him. Here this morning we're going to share what it means to be controlled by Christ. I'm going to invite you in a moment to take of the Lord's Supper. To take of what we say is not His actual body or His actual blood. That is called transubstantiation. We don't believe that. And we don't believe that Christ is hidden in the bread or the drink. That's consubstantiation. What we do believe is in the real presence that we are able to feed upon him, the bread of heaven, that for those of us who truly have faith, we can participate and partake. We can experience the presence of the Lord, his Holy Spirit. We can know that we have been convicted, that our character is being changed. It is not just a symbol. If you're here this morning and you have made a profession of faith, you're a member of his church. You've been baptized. In a Presbyterian structure, you've come before the elders. They've admitted you to the table. It means you understand what you're taking of. 
If you're here visiting with us and you're not from that background and you've made a profession of faith and you've been baptized, we invite you to partake. It's your conscience that takes. We're going to have our officers come, hand out the bread. We're going to partake together. Then they'll pass out the drink and then we'll partake together so that every one of us understands only those controlled by the love of Christ should take communion. It's what brings us together. It's what makes us common in one. And if you're here today, whether or not you should take, let me just remind you, do you know you should take? Your conscience has been touched. Do you wonder whether or not you should take? Your character is under restructuring. What if I take and things are... Well, don't be confused. What matters? Do you love Jesus Christ? Because He first loved you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, for all you have given us. Help us to understand clearly what it means and how important it is and what you expect from us as your children. Father, help us not to lower the standards so that others will want to be a part. Help us not to change the requirements so it's not confusing to others. And Father, let us not water down the scriptures so that others won't be convicted. Father, help us to be controlled by the love of Christ. Father, for no other reason than you would get the praise and the glory for all we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would receive the benediction, now may the love of Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the Almighty God himself be with you and keep you this day. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.